Turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, We're actually going to begin towards the end of the chapter in verse 42. Uh, This is uh, another one like the Good Friday text that we we worked through, that uh, it's difficult to pick a place to start and stop. Uh, Chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians is a very long chapter and all of it about the resurrection, about Christ's resurrection, and about ours. And we're going to be jumping into the end of it. And so we have to remind ourselves of the the general argument that we've gotten from Paul in the the opening verses of the chapter. Paul is addressing a problem in the church at Corinth. There are those among the believers at Corinth who are denying the resurrection, just denying it flat out, denying that people do resurrect, that there will be a resurrection And Paul is writing to say to them that if there is no resurrection, then Christ is not resurrected. And if Christ is not resurrected, he says, then we are to be pitied among all people. That is that the gospel, everything that we know about who God is and what God is doing and the promises God has made to us and how it is that he's fulfilling those promises is certified in the resurrection of Jesus Christ so that if there is no resurrection of Christ... All of it is false. It's all false. There is no resurrection for us either, and none of the promises of God will be fulfilled. And so Paul, uh, though we we recognize the various works of Christ, all of the, the parts of Christ's work and the necessity of all of those parts, ultimately had Christ done all of those things and yet remained in the grave, it would have been for nothing. And so, in a very real sense, in a very true sense, all of our hope, all of our uh, embrace, our grasp of the promises of God and Jesus Christ rest on the resurrection. This is what Paul is going to insist upon throughout all of the rest of chapter 15. He's not only going to point to the, the, the evidence, the proof of the resurrection of Christ, but he's going to remind us what is ours because of that resurrection. And that's where we are, are going to join Paul this morning in verse 42. He's beginning now to really press into what's true for us because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so let's, uh, let's take a look at the text. I'm going to pray, and then I'll begin reading in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, again in verse 42. Father, this morning as we gather together, uh, we rejoice to celebrate together with the, the rest of the church uh, in this season the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you that not only has he been raised, but that there were witnesses to that resurrection, hundreds of witnesses, that those witnesses were bold to proclaim the truth of the resurrection, that particularly your disciples so insisted upon that resurrection that all but one, we believe from history, died a martyr's death, still clinging to, proclaiming, and insisting upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have carried this truth down through the age to us today by your word and by that faithful community who has received it and then preached it to the next generation. And Father, we pray that as we look into your word this morning, as we read these words of Paul, that we would be astounded all over again at the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
that our confidence would be assured because we know that not only has he been resurrected, but that he is only the first fruits of the resurrection and that a day is coming when he will return and we will also be raised up. Father, we pray that this truth would so fill us with an unshakable hope and confidence that we would join our voices to Paul, to Paul's voice in this text, even as he taunts death, that we would have that same boldness as we go out into the world. Father, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Hear the reading of God's word, 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 42. So it is, Paul says, with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust... We shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I want to draw out briefly, almost as an introduction, uh, the, the vital truth in verses 42 through 49. And it's upon that truth, then, that we're going to look at verses 50 through 57. And we're going to draw three things out of these verses, 50 through 57, that are so uh, important to us and so vital to the hope with which we live in this world the first thing uh, in those first verses, 42 through 49, that we cannot miss is the foundation that is Jesus Christ. That everything that Paul is going to insist upon in 50 through 57 that must happen and that does happen and will happen is only because of Jesus Christ. Speaking of the resurrection of the dead, he uses several images uh, what is shown, sown, so he's using the image, I'm in verse 42, of the seed. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And here he brings us to this spiritual reality that is the resurrection and says in verse 45, thus it is written, so he's, he's grounding everything he's just said on this truth. The first man, Adam, became a living being. 
quoting Genesis and the, the narrative of creation. But then Paul adds, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Jesus Christ, the last Adam, is the life-giving spirit. It is not the spirit that is first, spiritual, Paul says, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man, Adam, was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. And he says, just like we are from Adam, and therefore of the earth, of the dust, so we shall be like Christ, the man from heaven, and we shall be like him, those who are of heaven. Just as we've borne Adam's image, we shall also bear the image of Christ. This is what's held out to us in Christ. It's only because of the resurrection of Christ that everything else that we see in the verses that remain is true for us this morning. And so let's take a look at this. Uh, the, the three things that we want to see is that because Christ has been raised, we inherit the kingdom of God. Because Christ has been raised, we inherit the kingdom of God. Second, because Christ has been raised, we are made fit for the kingdom of God. Because Christ has been raised, we are made fit for the kingdom of God. And finally, because Christ has been raised, the kingdom of God is victorious over sin and death. Because Christ has been raised, the kingdom of God is victorious over sin and death. First this morning, because Christ has been raised, we inherit the kingdom of God. Look at verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. We must be raised from the dead. We must be resurrected in order to inherit the kingdom of God. To inherit that kingdom is to come into possession of it, not merely to live in it, but to be in possession of it. And so what blessings are now ours because we belong to the kingdom of God? There's, an, there, there's a, a present reality that results from the resurrection of Christ in history and the certainty of our resurrection on the last day. What blessings then are ours now in the kingdom of God? First of all, eternal life has already begun. I'm not going to take a lot of time to, to go into it this morning, but what we find, particularly in Revelation chapter 20, where the resurrection is spoken of, is that if you are trusting in Jesus Christ right now, acknowledging that you are a sinner in need of salvation, Resting in Him and Him alone, Scripture says, you have already been resurrected. You are, are one who has experienced a spiritual resurrection. There is a present reality to the resurrection for us right now. Eternal life has already begun for us. The Spirit dwelling in us testifies to us that we are children of God and is sanctifying us for the day of redemption. This is a present reality that is true for us because Christ has been raised from the dead. The peace and joy that belong to us in Christ, even now, is ours. It is our possession. We have come into that inheritance already because of the finished work of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Now, ours right now is the church, which is given to us, uh, as the, the church fathers were fond of saying, as a mother to nurture us in the word and call us to repentance and remind us of the glorious truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and therefore the hope that is our resurrection on the last day. And we have this assurance of the future resurrection 
and victory over death. All of these things are ours now. We're going to look at it in the third point, but when we get to the bottom, the taunt that Paul uh, issues here, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Is a present taunt, not one that is reserved for the future. All of this is ours now, but there are blessings also reserved for us in eternity on the day that Christ returns. Blessings that we are looking forward to that are ours because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have, first of all, fellowship forever with Jesus Christ face to face. And if I was, was limited, if all I was allowed to say for the rest of my ministry on earth, for as, God, or for as long as God would preserve me in my ministry, it would be to express the gospel in terms of restored fellowship with our Creator and Redeemer. That is salvation. We lost that fellowship in the garden when we sinned. That fellowship was broken by our rebellion. And God, in Genesis 3.15 already is telling us that he's going to restore that fellowship, that he will send someone born in the line of Eve, someone born in the line of Noah and Shem and Abraham and Judah and David, who will deliver us from the curse and restore us to that fellowship with God. That fellowship is now ours as the Spirit lives in us, but there's a day coming where that fellowship will be face-to-face -face fellowship with our Savior, our risen Redeemer, Jesus Christ. On that day, we will come into the inheritance and take possession of an imperishable life in body and soul. No longer subject to tears and death and mourning and crying, and pain, impervious to temptation and sin, because our hearts will be made to conform to the heart of God, and we will want nothing that is not consistent with His perfect character. We'll live forever in a joyfully willing and perfect obedience, and every desire of our hearts, having been made to conform to His, will be satisfied in Jesus Christ for eternity. That's the glory of the resurrection. I want to say that again because I don't want you to miss this. All we will want for eternity is Jesus Christ. And He will be given to us in abundance. There will be no end of His giving of Himself to us for eternity. And because we have been resurrected, that is all we will want and we will be satisfied in Him. If you are grieving and hating your sin now, if you're sick and tired of being a sinner and living amongst sinners, that one we're more aware of most of the time, right? The living amongst sinners part. If there are days when you, you say to yourself, ah, I just, I can't do this anymore. And you find on your lips the cry, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Listen, brothers and sisters, there's a day coming. A day that the New Testament said was imminent for those first disciples and insists is imminent for us. There's a day coming when you will be raised up out of the grave and made perfect forever. And all you will want is Christ and he will give himself to you freely. That is the, the unshakable hope 
that is ours, we, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, inherit the kingdom of God. Second, this morning, because Christ has been raised, we are made fit for this kingdom of God. Look at verse 50 again. He says, flesh and blood cannot inherit. The perishable cannot inherit. We must be made fit for this kingdom. Verse 53, look at what he says, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. The kingdom of God is, in, is eternal and must be inhabited by those who are eternal. Our bodies now are subject to death, the result of the fall, and they must be restored. They must be renewed in order to inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ's own resurrection is the beginning of this restoration. And just as his human body was renewed in his own resurrection, so we too will be renewed so that we may be fit citizens and inheritors of the kingdom of God. It's because of sin that death came into the world, and because of death, we are not fit for this kingdom. We cannot make ourselves fit for this kingdom. We're subject now to sickness and injury and death, all things that are foreign to the kingdom of God. We are subject now to temptation and sin. These things are the curse which we bear because of sin, marks that we are excluded from the kingdom of God. But because Jesus Christ lives, we have the unbreakable promise of our Creator and Redeemer that a day is coming in which all of this will be set aside like an old set of clothes, and we will be clothed instead with imperishable, immortal bodies and souls, having been made perfect, restored, made new by the finished work of our risen Savior. If, if there's any, any sense, any moment for you in your day in and day out, in your living and your coming and your going, your waking and your sleeping, your rising up and your sitting down, that you are not fit for that kingdom, there is a truth in that sentiment, a truth in that knowledge of yourself, but there is a far greater truth held out to us in the risen Jesus Christ, and that is that He is and will make us fit for that kingdom. Any voice in your head that says you don't belong is a lie for you who are in Jesus Christ. The work that Christ has begun making us fit for that kingdom is a work that he will be faithful to complete. We are not foreigners, brothers and sisters, to the kingdom of God, but citizens and inheritors. This is the hope that's held out to us. It's the hope that ought to sustain us uh, in the midst of temptation. It's the hope that ought to sustain us even as on our lips we confess our sins to Jesus Christ once again. As we move through this world and we sin and are sinned against and we grieve that sin and we hate that sin and on our worst days we say to ourselves, nobody like this gets in. Nobody like this inherits. Nobody like this takes possession of those promises. And God says to you that is absolutely correct, and that's why you will not enter the kingdom of heaven as you are. 
But I, through my Son, Jesus Christ, have done all that is required to restore you to who I have intended you to be. What a great promise held out to us, his people. What a great hope for us. This knowledge that we are being made fit for the kingdom of heaven and and whatever remains to be done to make us fit will be finally accomplished on the day of our resurrection. We are being made fit for the kingdom of God. Finally this morning, because Christ has been raised, the kingdom of God is victorious over sin and death. Look at the closing verses of our passage this morning. Uh, I'm going to pick up in 53, kind of overlapping the last point. Uh, For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable body puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. And here he quotes from the prophet Isaiah, death is swallowed up in victory. And he taunts according to the prophet Hosea, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is clear in 53 that we must put these things on, but notice he goes from 53 to 54 in a powerful uh, rhetorical instance here. He goes from must to when. There's no intervening argument here, no intervening uh, pause for Paul. Paul, who is so fond of interrupting himself and, and, and introducing these comments to the side as he makes his arguments, as he unfolds the truth here, makes no such side glance, no such stop uh, to his argument, but lets his argument flow directly from the fact that these things must happen to assuming their fulfillment in the future. We must do these things, and when these things happen... Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. When the risen Jesus Christ returns and we are clothed in immortality, the promise of God through the prophet Isaiah will finally be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. And though this promise is yet to be fulfilled for us, Paul Paul is talking about our physical resurrection on the last day. We are to be like warriors on a battlefield now so confident of victory that we taunt the enemy. Paul, quoting another prophet, Hosea, breaks out into the taunt of death. Where is your victory? Where is your sting? Death is the enemy of God's people. But Jesus Christ has defeated death, and on the last day will destroy death forever. Look back in chapter 15 at verses 20 through 26. Paul, in our taunt here, has already begun to introduce the the certainty of the the final defeat and destruction of death and roots it once again in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every dominion and power. 
uh, every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Jesus Christ has defeated death. And on that last day when he comes again and raises up all of us who have died from our graves, he will finally destroy death forever. Death is defeated. Its sting is gone. Its hope of victory is removed. But we continue today, don't we, to to suffer death. If the Lord tarries, and so far he has, we will all end up in the grave one day. But so far from being the end for us, it is nothing more than a transition, nothing less than a transition from this, this fallen world, this life of wickedness and sin and rebellion into the arms of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The hope of our own resurrection to eternal life is founded upon, rooted in, and already proven by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is the first fruits, Paul said in the verses we just read. If we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his, Paul says in Romans 6. We live and we die in this hope. We live today not fearing death, but taunting it. If we were a warrior about to go into battle, how differently would we face that battle? How differently would we march into that battle if we knew that we could not die in that battle? How impossible would it be to defeat an army of warriors that could not die because their general has promised and has the power to raise them from the dead? We are an invincible army now because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the promise of God to raise us up by the power of Jesus Christ. Listen, we're not careless with our lives. We recognize the value of life. But we face the threats of the enemy without fear, knowing the worst that they can do is place us in the arms of our resurrected Savior. And in the face of their threats, we laugh with derision together with God from Psalm 2. Because our resurrected Savior is their master, and they can do nothing but serve Him. We not only march to battle as those who cannot die, but we do so under a general who orchestrates every move of the enemy to serve His purposes. This is how we live now because of the hope of the resurrection. And when we face the end of our mortal lives, we do so knowing that it is not the end of life, but the end of this wretched life of sin and rebellion and pain and suffering. We, like Paul, when we have learned to trust the promises of God, can say, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord, so that whether we are home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Our Christian hope at death as we lay dying is that we are about to be away from the body, but at home with the Lord. And on the day of Christ's return, we will be reunited with our bodies, made perfect, to spend eternity with Him, body and soul, forever. 
These are the promises that are ours. Promises we've already begun to enter into. A resurrection we've already experienced spiritually. A confidence that is ours now. The sting of death removed now. And a hope for the future that cannot be disappointed because the one who has promised it is faithful and true. Brothers and sisters, all this hope is ours because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits and the guarantee of our own resurrection. And our resurrection is our final victory over death and makes us fit for the kingdom of God, which we will inherit. All this is ours in Christ and because of him. Thanks be to God. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray.